Hello, and welcome to the Burning Issue podcast. My name is Luke Walsh, and I am the editor of the website EndsWaysToBioEnergy.com. In previous episodes of this podcast, I've talked to people in and around the EFW sector about how it's grown and where it's going in the future. This has often been specifically linked to one company or one local authority. But on this episode, as something a little bit different, I'm talking to Hattie Park, who you should know from her previous role at the RDF Industry Group, as she takes on a new role as Director of Climate at the government-owned public-private partnership unit known as Local Partnerships. Currently, in the UK, there's close to 60 operational EFW plants, but the majority of these were actually funded through a series of increasingly complex financial arrangements, many of which are about to expire or will expire over the next decade. So as a result, this presents an opportunity to businesses and local authorities to improve, develop and put into operation the next generation of waste management technologies in the UK. But there's also issues involved depending on the type of contract signed by a local authority and the business that built the EFW plant for it. And as we arguably reach the end of the country's huge investment in building EFW infrastructure, it's important everyone in the sector keeps on top of the expiry dates of these deals. So let's hear what Hattie has to say. Hello, Hattie. Thank you very much for talking to me. Hi, Luke. Really pleased to be here. Um, As I touched on in the introduction, those listening will probably know you from the RDF Industry Group originally, but that's not why we're here today. So perhaps you can explain a bit more about what you're up to now. Yeah, absolutely. So I've actually recently made the move across to join local partnerships as a director within um, the climate team. And I'm working with a team of resource efficiency specialists um, and we're providing support to DEFRA, Welsh Government and local authorities. Well, we want to talk more about the local partnerships, but can I ask you first about RDF exports? They're falling at the moment, aren't they, year on year, or maybe plateauing. Is this why you left? Is there still life in that market? You're right, Luke, in that there has been a, a down trend in exports from the UK and that's obviously as domestic treatment capacity has become operational but actually across the UK and Europe those transboundary movements of waste derived fuels continue to form real key part of the market that is increasingly responding to you know demanding legislative changes and challenges and that drive towards a circular economy so it's still a really interesting space for sure for me personally it was just the right time for something new and to be supporting kind of central and local government through some of the most significant policy changes that we've seen in my generation felt like a good move for me. But don't worry, I've, I've left the RDF industry group in, in very safe hands. And now perhaps you can tell me a bit more about the local partnerships. And you're, you're dealing with local authorities, councils and the EFW sector. So what do they need to be doing now? Yeah, absolutely. So Local Partnerships is in quite a unique position of being a public sector consultancy owned by Treasury, Local Government Association and Welsh Government. So we're working um, impartially and and collaboratively across all parts of central and local government and the devolved administrations. So we're really providing that interface between the policy of central government and local delivery. Within our resource efficiency team, we're working with DEFRA both on policy and specifically infrastructure. So EFW infrastructure obviously being a key part of that. Um, At a local level, we're supporting local authorities with the transition towards a more resource efficient and circular economy. 
Can you tell me more about how you're involved in the EFW sector specifically now? Um, so specifically about that intersection with the EFW sector. Um, so many of the EFWs um, and, and other residual treatment infrastructure that operate today um, came into fruition uh, through the Waste Infrastructure Development Programme. And that programme commenced back in 2006 with the aim of diverting biodegradable municipal waste from landfill um, in order to meet the landfill reduction targets. Local Partnerships has actually worked closely with DEFRA in the continued delivery of the programme. Um, so we're supporting local authorities and management of those long-term PFI contracts that came about as the result of the programme. You know, why are we uh, talking particularly now around these EFWs and with local authorities? Well, we're entering the phase now where actually a lot of long-term PFI and PPP contracts, um, both within and outside that DEFRA program, are starting to come to an end. Um, so it's it's a period of change, um, and it's really really important that local authorities are prepared for that change and that the market is responding to that change. Everyone needs to be thinking now about how they will be managing their residual waste in the future as these contracts start to expire. And that's where at Local Partnerships, we're supporting authorities with preparing for that really quite complex transition. So you've mentioned PFIs. So, so that's pri- for people who don't know. That's the private finance initiatives and the PPPs. Those are the public-private partnerships. Now, in terms of VFW, which one of those are more involved in the sector or, or is it both? So it's both, actually, Luke. So PFIs can be considered one form of PPP. So PFI is, is a sort of subset of PPP, as it were. So PPPs broadly are essentially those long-term contractor arrangements between the public sector entity and the private sector provider. So for EFWs, that means that the private sector provider is engaged in various elements of the design, build, finance, maintenance and ongoing operation um, of the facilities. There's differences in contract setups, but broadly, it means that the public sector doesn't pay for the the EFW asset during the construction and associated costs um, and finance of that construction. Yeah, so we've talked about PPP and PFIs. And do you know how many EFWs roughly were built through these deals? And um, you've mentioned the end of these contracts are coming or have some ended already? Yeah, so there's um, there's just over 40 EFWs that are currently operational that have been built through PFI and PPP schemes. So combined, they're delivering around 12.7 million tonnes of permitted capacity. Um, so that's just over 70% of current operational uh, treatment capacity. You can see it's, it's quite a large majority of the facilities out there have been funded through this arrangement. Obviously, that changes over time. And over time, we've seen more merchant um, capacity come through. We've started to see some contracts coming to an end. Uh, Some have been cancelled early, but the majority of these contracts will be coming to an end over the next decade. That may sound like quite a long time frame, but actually there's a lot to do in terms of preparing for contract expiry. Um, So for local authorities to consider and assess what their future options are and for preparing for re-procurement if that's the route they go down. Local authorities, they should be in a good place now, shouldn't they? Because they've got an asset that they're going to own outright and they can treat their own waste that way and they can maybe bid for other contracts. So 
it's good news, isn't it? It's complex. So it's it's going to depend on the contract set up in terms of what happens when that original long-term contract expires. So for some local authorities, they'll have what's known as a reverting asset, in which case, yes, the EFW would go back into local authority ownership. And in that case, yes, there is the potential that they could seek to operate that um, in some way that could be in-house, that could be outsourced ongoing operation of the contract. And they may seek to get other local authority and commercial waste into the facility, which could provide um, an income stream. Other local authorities who will have non-reverting assets, um, so that means that when the contract comes to an end, actually don't have um, ownership. So in that case, they will be almost starting from scratch, as it were, in terms of, you know, well, do they re-procure and look at uh, continuing an arrangement with that existing facility, but they wouldn't have ownership of it, um, or do they look to the wider market? Each authority is in um, a really unique position in terms of what's next. There's lots of considerations um, and decision points. So, you know, do they look at extensions to their existing contracts? Do they have them? Should they use them? Do they operate in-house or do they procure the ongoing operation and maintenance of the facility? Do they look to alternative merchant options? What considerations are they making around upgrades that may be needed, particularly given changes in in the policy landscape? You know, they may be considering um, pre-sorting facilities, carbon capture, for example. So you can see that there's a lot to think about. And what's best is really going to differ between authorities. So that's why it's just really important that that process is started early on. If we're looking at contracts that are coming to an end in the next sort of decade or so, I'm guessing that 25-year-plus deals are a thing of the past now, aren't they? People are going to want something else. So what, what should these local authorities be looking at? Yeah, so in my opinion, those really long kind of 25-year-plus uh, deals are a thing of the past, particularly given the current levels of uncertainty that we have. I don't think that there's an ideal contract length, and it's going to very much depend on the requirements and priorities and context in which each individual local authority is is operating. So, you know, it's one of those key considerations for authorities in terms of how long do you want these contracts to be. And really, I think the important thing is that there's a balance between giving some level of security of supply, you know, so that there is market interest and so that you secure the best um, prices to encourage that ongoing partnership approach between the authority and the provider. That's one thing that these long-term contracts have provided is that partnership approach. Um, and you wouldn't want to lose that by going for too short a contract if you're looking for a more sort of continued contract. Um, but you also want to have a degree of flexibility as well. So yes, those 25-year contracts probably are a thing of the past, but it's really striking that balance. The policy framework, it's hard to talk about at the moment. Things are up in the air. There's things like the UK ETS coming in, which is going to transform the way EFWs work. There might be bans on plastic, say, different types of feedstock going in. How does a local authority plan for that with so much policy change going on? 
this is a real challenge for local authorities at the moment, quite understandably. But we don't currently know the outcomes of the the government consultations on collections consistency, EPR. Uh, We don't know the mechanisms for the UK ETS and how that will exactly be adopted. What we do know is the direction of travel. So that general direction of travel and the overarching goals of these policies. So we don't know the detail, but we do know the overall direction of travel. What's really important is for local authorities to really review the potential impacts given that overall direction of travel. Uh, So we're looking at an overall reduction in the proportion of residual waste. We're looking at the removal um, of some specific materials, um, both packaging and food. Uh, That's going to impact on the composition and the CV. The ETS is obviously that driver for further incentivising the removal of fossil carbon. So we do have that sort of overarching framework that authorities can work to. That's something that we've actually been doing a lot of with local authorities at the moment is identifying those sort of touch points between as their contract um, is expiring, you know, what does their service delivery look like and how may these policies impact? So it's making sure you understand those foundations. And then obviously it's really important to then remain up to date with what is a changing situation to ensure that you're fully understanding and assessing how those policy mechanisms, once we do have that further detail, how that will impact. That's quite a big task to analyse all of those impacts, given that there's numerous of them and some of them are pulling in slightly different directions, for example, on the CV. So, you know, you've got removal of food waste, a low CV material on one hand, and then you've got the removal of plastics, a high CV and fossil carbon on the other hand. So you can see there's a number of kind of balancing dynamics. So it's a complex picture, but important to kind of remain up to date with. Also, it's that flexibility again. So given this level of uncertainty, that means flexibility is key. So flexibility in considering contract extensions, flexibility in considering how change in law clauses within future contracts are dealt with going forwards, flexibility in the contract itself and maybe working towards that uh, more outcomes focused approach and partnership approach. But there's a whole raft of different options for, for authorities to consider. But I'd say, you know, the key thing is keeping abreast of those changes, but keep in mind the overall direction of travel. You talked about the change in policy there. We've had moratoriums come in in Scotland and Wales, and they look like they're here to stay. At the moment, there isn't one in England. But could policies like that come in or could perhaps a future government come in with a like they've done in Denmark with a kill list of older energy from waste plants that would mean that infrastructure gets taken out of the market? Do local authorities have to plan for things like that as well? In my opinion, I think we're we're probably a way off the the so-called kill kill list uh, that they have in Denmark. Um, what what I think we're really more likely to see um, in the UK is that some operators and facilities are going to be adapting and responding to these changing market demands and the changing legislative landscape more readily than others. And so those that are willing and able and ready to adapt, ultimately, they're the ones that are going to remain more competitive. So, you know, you think of ETS, for example, it's a key financial driver 
to incentivize the the removal of fossil carbon from the feedstock to facilities. So those that are better able to respond to that are going to have lower ETS payments and therefore going to remain more competitive. But that's going to vary between operators, I would expect. And so I would expect some respond more readily than others. And then perhaps we'll see the consolidation of the market in terms of those that actually aren't able to remain competitive because they're not keeping a pace with others who are responding more readily to those market demands. You mentioned carbon capture earlier, and obviously that plays in well with the UK ETS coming. Mm. If you've got a contract and there's still up to a decade to go on that plant, should the local authority be encouraging more talk over carbon capture now or should they wait until the end of the deal? It's definitely one consideration now, I think. That's one route, carbon capture. Um, And obviously, you know, a number of operators are investigating that option currently. It's a way off, you know, coming in at commercial scale across all facilities in the UK. That's not going to happen overnight. But it's one of those factors to include in that planning towards contract expiry as well in terms of, well, what are things going to look like, you know, in in a few years time. There's obviously other methods as well for removing carbon. So pre-sorting facilities may be something that we see more of as well. So funding in the future, things could get trickier as there's a cost of living crisis potentially less money for local authorities. They could struggle with repaying these deals. And if so, what should they do? So funding is obviously a key consideration for local authorities um, and always something that is is front and centre of mind. Um, There's a number of different options. So um, we've actually seen some contracts that have ended in early termination where that was the most appropriate thing to do. Um, We've also seen contract renegotiation. So that's an option as well. My colleagues at Local Partnerships initiated a a savings programme through the Waste Infrastructure Delivery Programme back in 2013-14, so 10 years ago or so. But that's already delivered around £145 million in savings so far. So there are opportunities to make savings within these long-term contracts. And, And in terms of local authorities themselves, it's really important that they understand that detail of the contract and that they identify their possible options in terms of continuation versus any kind of renegotiation or, you know, uh, the very end of the kind of option line termination and evaluating all of those options as to what will provide best value for money. Because, you know, that essentially, as you say, has to be absolutely a key consideration for local authorities in delivering these services. So you've you've made savings of 145 million. That's right. There must be local authorities out there. They could Surely they need to speak to you. They could be saving millions, couldn't they? <laughs> yeah, that's right, Luke. And I think that's that's the important thing. It's, you know, local partnerships can provide that support to local authorities to assess their current service provision, assess their current contracts and consider what's going to be best value for money going forwards. I was thinking about this. You mentioned earlier that we were away off the Denmark kill list for energy from waste plants. So there's going to be more plants. And you'll know from your RDF industry group days, there's always talk of overcapacity in the UK. Okay. Is is that coming? And is there a danger if local authorities don't manage the expiry of these dates, these plants could be decommissioned? So that comes back to that issue that I talked, essentially competitive advantage of those operators and facilities that are more readily able to respond to the changing legislative environment. So I think that, you know, what we may see in the market over time is 
the market responding to the requirements, both in terms of the supply of feedstock for residual waste that is available, but also in terms of responding to, you know, the legislative drivers to, to drive down carbon, to remove some materials. Those that are able to do that are more likely to remain competitive. Um, so I think, you know, perhaps we'll see that natural attrition in the future. The final question I ask everyone on the burning issue is, what is the question I should have asked you? And more importantly, how would you have answered it? So, I think if you'd asked me to perhaps sum up how I felt about the changes coming to the resource sector, I probably would have answered it along the lines of, it's a very exciting time to be involved in the sector. And the changes that are coming through from the Environment Act are going to have the, like, the biggest impact on the market for generations. You know, certainly it's the biggest change um, that we'll see in, in my generation, but actually it's a really significant change that's really going to set the pace of change for the future. So policy is starting to, to join up. The direction of travel, I would say, is positive. And, you know, local partnerships were very much at the heart of helping central and local government deliver the much needed interventions. It's a really interesting, dynamic time, full of challenges, but full of opportunities to really respond to essentially the global climate emergency that we're in. Oh, that's a very positive way to end it. We're looking at some good times ahead. <laughs> Hattie, thank you so much for explaining the world of local partnerships to me and giving up your time. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome, Luke. It's been really good to chat today. All that remains for me to say is thank you for listening. And if you like this podcast, please do share it amongst your network or on social media. It really does help and it really is appreciated. And finally, if you want to learn more about energy recovery, go to the website enswasteandbioenergy.com where you can sign up for our free newsletters or even take out a subscription if you want to. <laughs>